Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. On today's episode, you're going to hear from Adrian Swinsko, known as an experimental CX thought leader, best-selling author, Forbes contributor, and an aspiring CX punk. You heard right, yes, punk, which I think is really cool as he correlates punk rock to customer experience and what you need to do as a leader in an organization to drive change in positive ways. He talks about how our memories last, especially the bad experiences over delightful ones, and how to ensure the good stand out. Since Adrian is also a visionary, I tap into his brain around blockchain and new technologies that we need to be mindful of and possibly pivot strategies around customer experience, marketing, and loyalty initiatives so that we're prepared for the future while simultaneously doing CX right today. Finally, we talk about how do you wow a customer to keep them coming back and telling others. It's actually different than you might think, which is what I appreciate about Adrian and his views. They're so diverse that it will make you look at your business in a whole new way. One request, please share this episode with others and subscribe to my Doing CX Right podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or other favorite channels. It means a lot. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Adrian Swisco. I'm so happy you're here on the Doing CX Right show. Hi, Stacey. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Well, I was the lucky candidate to be among many others on your show. And so it's only fair that I now as a host have you come to my platform to really showcase such incredible wisdom and a unique view on (laughs) CX, which is what I love about you. So let's start off with telling my audience, who are you? What do you do professionally? So my name's uh, Adrian Swinsko. I am, I guess I'm an expatriate Scot living on the south coast of England um, with my wife, Hannah. And we're currently situated in, a, in an office here in kind of Brighton. We can look out that window there and we can see the sea down at the bottom of the hill. So um, that's where we're at. And what do I do is I, I guess I do a number of things, but they fall into sort of two broad buckets. One is that I do advisory work with organizations that serve customers, um, you know, different sort of brands, different sort of organizations, um, help them tackle different problems about how to deliver better service or better experience to the customers. And on the flip side of that, I do a lot of writing and research and sort of talking and, and uh, I guess, advocacy for better outcomes. And the sort of two things feed each other. So you get the practical with the theoretical or the kind of future with the now, and it all kind of like helps each other. Mm. Why? Why do you spend your precious hours and days on this topic? Because I don't like bad service. And it frustrates me that in many situations, organizations are the ones that tend to get in the way of their people doing a good job. And it's it's kind of the, you know, it's been that's the thing that's always frustrated me. I have a being involved in things and built things that which had 
if you like, a customer and an employee value proposition at their at their heart. I believe that if you give people the right sort of tools and the right sort of and create the right sort of environment, they can do amazing kind of things on both sides. And so it's always frustrating me that the achievement of decent service is not necessarily that hard. We sometimes get in our own way. And but I know there's not just the one answer to that. And hence I about twelve or so years ago I started after doing a bunch of different things, started just exploring it, just looking for clues about how we can produce these better outcomes. And have been able to develop, I guess, a footprint, a voice, some sort of impact, I guess, on some of the things that, that go on. And I've, you know, run up I have my own blog, I have a Forbes column, I have a I've had a podcast for the last ten years. I've written sort of three books. I've got a fourth one coming out, sort of towards the end of this year. So yeah, just I'm trying to just advocate for better outcomes, invite people to do better work, agitate for change, expand people's thinking, encourage them to do different and better things. Mm-hmm. What's one fun fact that people may not know about you? I used to be able to speak really good Arabic. I did not know that. You wanted one thing that people didn't know. Yeah, I like that. Now, one other quick thing that could be obvious to people, but it it does inspire me because it it differentiates you a bit too, is this whole punk theme. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate for um, one minute on that? Sure. I mean, so, so the punk thing is, so about two, three years ago, I was reflecting on the whole experience space with a friend of mine and over a couple of beers, you know, Guinness actually. And whilst we were both sort of excited by the idea that there was so much investment or activity and enthusiasm about about the space, I was sort of bemoaning the, the lack of significant improvement. And I, in a moment of sort of frustration, I said, I wish somebody would do something a bit more punk. And when I thought about that a bit more, it made me think about punk music, because I'm a fan of punk music. And it thought about, made me think, think about where punk came from. And a punk exploded out the back of progressive rock in the 1970s. Now, whilst many people like progressive rock, um, it was also accused of being, you know, overly indulgent, you know, self-obsessed, overly elaborate, all these different things. Um, and punk took a very much a DIY, democratic, back-to-basics approach. It was all like heart and emotion. And it made me think that actually what was interesting is that the whole experience space was exploding and starting to take on some of the same characteristics as the prog rock space in the 1970s. And it's becoming overly elaborate, certified, codified, benchmarked, metriced, yada, 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 the whole sort of thing. And in danger of disappearing up its own backside, if you like, and becoming more interested in itself than its constituents, i.e. its customers, and who it's there to serve. And I thought, well, if that's true, then my hypothesis was, well, if that's true, then what would a punk version look like? And that's why I, I started to explore this idea of punk CX, and it's not about producing an answer. You know, punk was never an answer. Punk was more of an attitude or a mindset about 
being not being scared to do things differently and about stripping things back, keeping things simple, you know, swimming against the tide. But it's the thing that, that you know, and it's about taking sometimes about taking risks. And so when I wrote the book, it, I was styled it on an album sort of style. So it's more about composed of a series of tracks, very colorful, it's designed like a manifesto in more ways than one. And it's a sort of a punch in the face, really. It said like, wake up and do better work. And that's the the thing about it. The sort of that was the whole thing about it. It's like you might not like it, and that's fine. But it, you'll definitely notice it. Yes, I watched the Go Go's documentary, and to watch that at the age I'm at now versus listening and singing the music when I was younger, the Go-Go's. I did not realize then how much they were ahead of their times and what change agents they were, which is actually very necessary for CX leaders. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I remember one of my favorite bands is a band called Fugazi. And they have a song called Burning 2, not 2, but T-O-O. And if you listen to the lyrics, they're talking about environmental catastrophe. And this is back in the, what, late 80s, early 90s. They were like a post-punk sort of band. So not really original punks, but in that post-punk era. And they're from uh, the Washington, Washington DC area in the States. And I think it's just brilliant, but there's some of the stuff that they talk about is just so ahead of its time. And, and, and I think that's the thing is that they are like many forms of music. They're like the news and sometimes the news that you don't want to hear. Hmm. That's good. That's really good. Wow. We could probably spend this whole show just on punk and CX, but let's, let's take it further. So talking about futuristic, yet it's also now also, that blockchain Mm -hmm. is a hot topic. Is there a link to customer experience and blockchain? Do you see that for the future? Do you see it now? What's your beliefs as we're all learning at the same time? Sure. I mean, I something that's something I've... um written about in the past and I must uh, um, tip my hat to Jeremiah Ouyang and and his crew by doing some pre-work on this and helping me out on it with their their primary primary research so I really like blockchain as a as as in terms of distributed ledger technology I think it's got some fascinating applications and around veracity of records protecting ownership rights all of those sort of things and but the thing I and and I think it can be applied particularly in the experience space I think it can be applied to things where things have multi multiple counterparties involved and and it's quite complex kind of like arrangements so we get like loyalty programs and you have multiple partners that are that you've got to almost collect rewards through and you've got to keep track of them and all those different things you think that's probably an ideal space where it could fit in theory and I know there's some people trialing a lot of these things. But one of the concerns I have about blockchain 
and it's you know and it's more popular in its more popular famous um known sort of application like cryptocurrencies that's bitcoin or ether ethereum or whatever is the amount of energy it takes to process a transaction and to verify a transaction and we and we haven't the technology hasn't come matured enough i think right now to i have concerns about the kind of the um, the value that a business is going to get from it versus the actual cost of using it and not just the cost in terms of the energy cost but the environmental cost because this so this sort of technology because of the way it's structured it consumes an inordinate amount of energy let me give you an example this might blow your mind it blew my mind when i heard it and it's this is not directly applicable but it's it's a, it's a, like a bitcoin type of um comparison and somebody told me that one bitcoin transaction the amount of energy kind of it takes to produce one bitcoin transaction is the equivalent to 750,000 swipes of a visa card that is very thought provoking i had not heard that and so you you end up with this equation right which goes oh that's really interesting but at what cost yes and given that experience is developing into this this thing which is not just about customers and it's not just about employees but it's about society and stakeholders and and so on and so forth it's like a whole thing right we can't ignore different parties then we have to take we have to factor that into our thinking because if we don't we're either just ignoring these issues because we're playing short term well we maybe just we just don't know right now hmm. so i think there will be a solution to it i think there will come up with, we'll come up with a more energy efficient way of of doing this of handling it but right now i would i'm, I'm a bit skeptical about whether kind of the, about the value equation in that whole thing what about loyalty programs i mean there's so many of them and they've been around a long time do you see Bitcoin being part of those kind of marketing initiatives? I mean, maybe, um, but I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit reticent about loyalty programs. Full stop. Because I've I've seen research that shows that, and it sort of makes sense. Really, I've seen research that shows that. You know, like ninety percent of all loyalty was delivered by like two points on a customer's journey, and it's about how good you are at the the whole buying experience, and what happens when something goes wrong. And if you think about it psychologically, that makes a lot of sense. I we want to be we want to feel good and, and feel right, and be comforted and all that sort of stuff in terms of where we're spending our hard-earned earned cash. And then when something goes wrong, we want somebody to come in and save us and make it okay. Or to solve the problem. We understand that things go wrong, but we want things to kind of get solved kind of right. Now, if you get both of those things kind of right, apparently it takes care of about 90% of all loyalty. So the question is, and loyalty programs are then really focused on like the 10% of the margin. So here's the question. 
would you be better suited taking some of the money or resources that you're putting into your loyalty program and looping it into initiatives around improving the buying experience and or the service you deliver to your customers? Would you get a better ROI from that rather than just the loyalty program? Because if you're not great at this and this, but you're spending heavily on that, I'm not sure the economics of that stack up. Yes, <laughs> agree. It is very, very true and something that we don't think enough about as we do campaigns. I agree. I mean, that's not to say that there's some there's some good loyalty programs out there that that, that yes. offer real value to people. I, I, you know, that, I'm 100% behind that. I'm just trying to take a bit more of a macro systemic connected kind of view about it. So questioning, you know, should we put our money here or here or here? Right. But I also wonder, not but, and I also wonder how will Bitcoin and all these new technologies, if that's the right name for it, how how will they come into play to motivate or pull customers? Will it? Well, I mean, that's a, I feel like the $64 million question of, you know, maybe, you know, if dollars still exist at that point in time. <laughs> right. And I mean, I don't think it's, I'm not sure about cryptocurrencies and where it's all going to go. It's not my area of sort of expertise, but I do know that, and I have spotted that a lot of the big central banks are starting to make moves into their own developing their own crypto currencies. And that makes sense. I mean, it's almost a bit like, why wouldn't you, why would you let yourself get disaggregated out of the whole process? You're a mm. bank, right? What are you doing? You're waiting for Christmas? It's a bit like being a turkey, you know? Or are you trying to get, get, on, on, get in on the act? And because they're almost like fighting for their own sort of future and the 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 financial system as we currently know it. But so I don't know how it's all going to play, but I think it will it will play a role. Um, I just don't know what that role will be and how significant it'll be right now. But it's well, definitely so technologies, we, def, definitely technologies to watch. Yes. And I think as we are all focused on making a lower level of effort for customers to buy, to get their products, to pay their bill. I, I have to believe that that's going to contribute to making it easier mm -hmm. to, to a, a whole nother level, if it goes as we suspect. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's also about the idea of what easy is will yeah. end up evolving as well. I like I that. Uh, yes, yes. So let's talk about also, you've written several books. One of them, actually, I want to dive into for a moment because it's it still continues, even though you wrote it a little while ago, it's still really, really relevant, which is about how to wow. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? how to wow, and what is your favorite tactic for people that they may not even be thinking about? 
crumbs. Um, so the first question is easier than the, than the second one because it's a long time since I actually wrote that. Yeah. So how do I was was it, I I really enjoyed writing it. It was the first. Well, I published it with through Pearson, so it was like it was nice to get published by a big brand, as it were, and that sort of um, ticks to ticked a box, and it did it did really well, and and it was it's like a standard business book. Looks like that. Um, and the interesting thing about it is it's um, it's called How to Wow, but it's not really about how about wow services. Maybe it's commonly thought because I actually think wow service is not necessarily what you think it is. Because many people talk about wow service, and it's all we're all it's like we're all magpies, right? We're all sort of like distracted by shiny objects, like oh look at this and oh look at that. But actually, and this is backed up by sort of neuroscientific research, is that we would be better suited if we focused on eliminating the disappointment, risk, uncertainty, failure, all those different things. Because the, I feel like the memory or psychological ROI on that is between five and seven or five and 12 times greater than the ROI on any sort of joy, surprise or delight factor. And the reason behind that is just, is because it's our survival instinct, right? And also the fact that is there's also this idea to do with kind of rumination in that things that we associate with negative emotions, disappointment and risk, uncertainty, all those type of loss, all this sadness, all these sort of things, they, they, we remember them for way, way longer than we do in a, any other sort of like really nice things it's just the way that we're wired and if you apply that to kind of business then it means that we should then look at how do we not just get distracted by the nice things but actually how do we pay attention to eliminating all the kind of the stuff that we might not like and actually because many people don't do that but if you did that, then you end up putting yourself at a, on a higher level than anybody else because you become dependable and trusted and reliable. And it gives you that platform upon which to build other sort of things. And therefore, when you do make a mistake up here, but because you've all got this solid base on it, people are much, much more forgiving. And the problem is if we get distracted because everybody wants to do these things up here, but not this things down there. Because these things are hard work and take time and commitment and discipline. And you've got to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty, right? And and it's and that's what I mean. Is sometimes you can be boring, but still be still produce wow service. Because you're just doing the things that matter when they matter. Yeah. So what's an example in your mind of a company that is, what I say, doing CX right in the way of wow service? Um, I'll, pick, I'll pick a famous one because one, because I want to, I, I want to do a shout out to um, their CEO who passed away uh, late last year and that's Tony Shea at Zappos. 
And the, the reason why I want to pick those out is, well, Zappos are legendary and I've visited them and I know some people over there. And I think one of the things that they do is, which is it's just counter what many other organizations do is that they want to pe- they want to speak to people on the phone. You know, it's not about rushing people off the phone. They want to speak to people on the phone because they want to make that connection with people. And so while they might measure how long calls on average are lasting, they're not sweating people to get off the phone. So it doesn't feel like a rush. It's just all very natural. They're actually fascinatingly, fascinatingly disappointed when their number of phone calls goes down and people start to use more and more digital channels because they get frustrated that it doesn't give them the opportunity to develop those connections that they kind of they like to develop, but they're always there. And I think it just tells you a bit about them. They're not trying to force things through. They're just being there for people. Mm. Because they're not trying to, if you like, um, manage it to death, as it were, they end up producing and they end up equipping their people and then trusting their people. They end up producing these great outcomes and it's you know and they did it from the inception took off huge growth and then amazon went and bought them and then they bought them and they left them alone because they wanted to learn from them as well because there was stuff that they could learn from them because so different and they continue to experiment to this day you know long after you know um tony left the the business they continue to experiment but he was there right at the start he was probably one of the original punks when it comes to service and experience. He did have a Mohican from time to time. And I mean, may he rest in peace. He is missed. Yes. Well, with minutes left, this went too fast. You have another book, uh, more recent, Punk CX. Can you share the highlights? What is that about? So I have some pictures kind of like behind me, which is some of the sample of the artwork from the book. And I'll pick one, which is, I think, that one. Can you see that there? I can, but the, those listening to it won't. So it, I'll, I will say, I'll tell you what I'll describe it. It's like a green frame yes. with a white center and it has a series of letters in it. And it's D-W-Y-S-Y-A-G-T-D-W-Y-S. Y A G T D I. Now, I say to people, <laughs> it's not a town in Wales. Um, and if you're Welsh, you'll get that. But actually, um, it's a, I guess it's an acronym. And it's an acronym that stands for do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Hmm. And I think it's just a fundamental of things individual, personal, business behavior, you know, if we if we did that, we did that more often. We made those kind of like um those 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 promises, built those relationships, built on the that sort of um understanding, then I think we wouldn't go far wrong. Well, that might be your answer to the next question I have. You can tell me, which is if I had a ton of CEOs and leaders, entrepreneurs in my room right now, what's the one thing you want them to know? Would that be it? No. Okay. I wouldn't want them to, I would want them to, 
I don't want them to know something. I want them to do something that will help them know something. Okay. And what I want them to do is I want them to go and serve their customers. I want, to go, I want them to go and work on the front line, whatever that means. It means if you, you jump in a van and you deliver something, or you sit in a contact center and you get trained up and you answer, understand how you had to answer the phones, or you, I don't know, do something else, whatever it might be. You can take a shift in a shop, whatever it might be. There's this idea that we can talk about the experience of people that serve customers and how important it is. But until we actually really experience what it's like, only then will we, then will we really understand what it's like and what we really need to do mm-hmm. to make it better. Beautifully said. Final question. If you could go back in time to 20-year-old Adrian, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you say? Oh, crumbs. Um, don't worry, life's an adventure. Don't worry, life's an adventure. It sure is. The, the don't worry part, I think, is the hardest thing for all of us. Well, yeah, perhaps. I mean, I mean, maybe I, I would just, I would, I would take an eraser and I would kind of rub out the don't worry bit. I just go, life's an adventure. Full stop. <laughs> love it. I love it. Well, I know people are going to want to find you and your books, which I'll put in the show notes. What is uh, the best place to reach you? Um, best place is probably just um, my website. And so it's as my, well, my name is Adrian Swinsko. So it's A D R I A N S W I N S C O E dot com, all one word. And you'll find my podcast, the stuff I've written about, my books, the work that I do, my phone number, my email. It's all there. So um, if you want to find out a bit more, then feel free to drop me, in, drop me a note and say hi. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Like I said, I love your diverse views and that's what makes you special. So I appreciate you so much. Have a great day. Thank you, Stacey. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.